Morning, good morning. I'm looking in the audience. It's looking a little spooky today. It's a little thin. I think all the moms are at the Halloween parties and festivals today. Um, I was looking back at pictures. Violet was a pumpkin last year because she was like 10 days old. And then yesterday we painted her first pumpkin. So it was just like a full circle moment. Um, happy Tuesday. Um, happy last day of October before the real holidays start to hit. Um, I just have a couple of announcements. The first one is I have to be the bad guy again and remind you about parking. If you know that there's someone who usually attends and is not here today, just send them a text, would you? Please don't park in the uh, covered parking because they're going to start towing cars pretty soon. So just as a reminder, we have a lot of other businesses in this neighborhood. Um, it's becoming an issue. It's not just Bible study. There's other things that are going on as well. But we just want to make sure that we're being courteous to our neighbors. So if you're parked under um, a covered parking, it's beautiful out now. The weather is not super hot. So please just make sure you're not parking there um, or where there are orange cones. I really don't want you to have to get your toe lifted um, and have to get it towed away. Um, second thing is I got Apple Podcasts back up and working. So if you haven't been listening on Apple Podcasts, that is back up. We also added this, the uh, podcast to Amazon Music. So if you have Amazon Music and you have a subscription, you can also listen through there. And then we're also on Spotify as well as our website and then YouTube. So all of those platforms should be working. If you notice that something is glitching, send me an email, hello at itsmaryshannon.com, and I will go ahead and check that out. But there's like five different places that you can listen to. Please make sure that you are sharing that as well. Um, Shannon will be traveling on Aspire next weekend, and then she'll be heading to North Carolina the following weekend. Um, remember that we do not have uh, Bible study the, th the week of Thanksgiving, so that's our little fall break. Um, if you could just be saying some extra prayers for Shannon. I know she's been struggling this week, um, as, have, as have I and probably many of you, so just lift each other up in prayer this week, um, and I'm going to pray right now for her as she begins to teach the eighth week. Hopefully she gets into Acts 3 today. You going to get into Acts 3 today? Oh yeah, we're, we're moving up, moving on. Um, bow your head with me. I'll say a quick prayer for her. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for today, God. We thank you that you brought us here together to study your word. Lord, thank you for each woman who has shown up um, and is committed, God, just to an hour of spending time with you. Lord, we invite the Holy Spirit into this room today, Father. And if they're listening online, online Lord, we, just, we invite the Holy Spirit there too. God, we just pray that the Holy Spirit would fill Shannon this morning, Lord, that they would not be her words, but yours. We pray that you would just give her the strength, um, both in her heart and both and mentally as well, God, to just um, preach what you have for her, Lord, and um, what we need to hear. Thank you for her commitment and her dedication and her sacrifice um, to spend her life learning and teaching um, the gospel. So we just lift up all these things to you, and we lift up Shannon to you in your holy and precious name. Amen. Um. Well, my, my morning started off really interesting. I Y'all are always like, your mornings always start off interesting. So I was supposed to uh, get up this morning and go speak at Christian Club at a local high school. And so that means, you know, I had to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and get ready because I had to be there by 6.30 because they have this before school starts. And, you know, on a Tuesday, it's not the greatest morning for me to do it, but I cannot say no to these high schoolers. I There's just something about it. I have a hard time with that. So I get up this morning, I get ready, and I go, and I'm there like five minutes early, and I text the kid. I go, okay, I'm here. Um, so whenever, and he goes, okay, well, 
I'm out in front of the office and I didn't see him. So I went in the attendant's office and I'm just standing there. And I said, hey, just so you know, I came inside. It's a little chilly. And he's like, where are you? I said, I'm in the attendant's office. And he goes, well, I'm in the attendant's office. And I said, well, I don't see you anywhere. And I go, and so then we kind of started talking a little bit about it. And I'm like, dude, I'm right in front of whatever. And then I said, I tell you what, why don't I just walk through the courtyard? You know, that round area in the middle, I'll just be standing out there. And he goes, the courtyard? And I, and I said, yes. And he goes, Shannon, what school are you at? And I go, Liberty? And he said, yeah, we're at Sunrise Mountain. <laughs> and I'm like, you have got to be kidding. And he's like, no. And I said, well, we got some options. I said, I'm not going to make it there in time if I get back in the car. I said, the Bible says that you need to be ready in season and out of season to give a word for the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. So I hope you have a word this morning because you're the man. And uh, I said, so if you don't, if you want me to, I'll teach you something in 15 minutes and you can just go and do all of that. Where he's like, no, I got it. No, I, I have it. I, I've got this. This isn't the first time this has happened. I thought, well, praise the Lord. So I sat there and I'm like, Shannon, you're losing your mind. You're an idiot. How did you not know what school to go to? So then I realized, okay, oh, I'm going to call my, my good friend, Mark Woods, and I'm going to go, hey, I'm at your school. What are you doing? So I walk over there to his classroom and I'm like, dude, I'm losing my mind. That turned into like a 10-minute therapy uh, session. And so I come out and all my high schoolers from Bible study are like, Hoff Power, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm y'all want to do Christian Club? Like, we can do it right now. I'm ready. So anyway, I leave and I went over here to uh, Cracker Barrel just to kind of read over my notes. And I'm sitting there and my waitress is a, the sweetest young Christian girl. So we started talking and then I started eavesdropping. Do you ever do this? I am so nosy. Like it was just me. And I could not stop listening to the conversation of the two men beside me because they were talking about the Bible. And I needed to hear what they were saying. And so I couldn't read my notes because I was too busy being nosy. And a couple of times I'm like, I don't like what y'all are saying. I really need to teach that. And I'm like, Shannon, mind your biz. Mind your own business. And then, lo and behold, someone says something about, and the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And I'm like, oh, dang, they're going to Genesis 6. Like, it's getting serious at that table. And so I get up, and I could not help myself. I walked over and I said, I couldn't help but eavesdrop into your conversation. And I said, can I recommend a book for you to read? And they were like, sure. And I said, you need to read Michael Heisler, The Unseen Realm. He's the expert on this. And you need to read Jude and you need to read blah, blah, blah. And they were like, oh, okay. So then I get in this whole conversation with them about church and the Bible and all this stuff. And so I go to leave and y'all, I walked right out the door, Cracker Barrel, and I thought, Shannon, you did not pay your bill. What is wrong with you? I turn around and I'm like, I need to go home. I walk back in there to those guys and I, because I told them what I did this morning, you know, going to the wrong school. I said, I need help. I need intervention. I go, 
please tell me y'all would have picked up my bill if I would have just left it at the table. So I grab it and I went and paid it. But I thought, my gosh, have you ever had a week where you're just like struggling to move forward? Like it's swamping you and you're so, you can't focus. You, you're scatterbrained. So you understand when people tell you like I'm depressed or I'm anxious or I'm having all this, like they can't get their act together. So obviously after this, I need to go home. I'm unsafe is, is why I, so listen, whatever happens here, okay, I, I've prayed about this. We have enough information. God is going to speak to us, I am sure, this morning. So if you've had a morning like that, or you feel like you've lost your mind or what, just know you're normal, right? It happens to the best of us. And I have on tennis shoes and everything because I was going to go talk to high schoolers. So I might be real wild uh, on this stage today. So let's pray. And I am going to get through Acts 3. How rude of her to suggest. Uh, that's one thing I was telling them this morning at Cracker Barrel. I said, you know, I just tell them I'm the boss. I'll get to what I get to and we're going to enjoy it. And, you know, just keep coming back and we'll finish Acts someday. Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you for each woman here. God, I pray that. I'm confident that your Holy Spirit will be powerful and will teach us through the scripture um, that we'll be able to dive in deep. And I pray, God, that there will be something to apply to each heart um, so that we're not just hearers of the word. We're not just gaining knowledge for knowledge. We're gaining knowledge for transformation that pours out um, through us to the world um, so that others can see that we're different and that we're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. It's quite different than the kingdom of the world. It's actually upside down. And so God, I pray that we would love with the love that is shocking to others and we would forgive. And to be honest, Lord, we just be you um, through the power of the Holy Spirit. I love you in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So I'm going to remind you where we left off. I'm going to read this section um, Starting in chapter 2, verse 42. I'm not going to go back and review a lot like I normally do. You can go back and look. We've come through Pentecost uh, where they have been preaching and everyone heard it in their own tongue. And how many people uh, came to know salvation? 3,000 people. Okay. And then they were accused. The religious leader says, no, they're drunk. And Peter steps up and gives one fiery good sermon. He's like, we're not drunk. The bars aren't even open. It's nine o'clock in the morning. And then he gives the most amazing scripturally based sermon to tell them uh, what they are seeing. And his points are, what you are seeing happen here with the pouring out of the spirit, this is that which Joel promised would come. And not only did Joel promise it, Moses longed for it when he said, oh, that the spirit of God would fall upon all men, right? We had that whole conversation about true change is always internal. If we're not intrinsically motivated to do something, we're not going to do it. And it's not going to last, right? And so Moses knew you can't legislate the heart. How many rules are you going to put up? Well, look at how, where they ended up. They, they put up some 600 and something rules, good grief, right? And so Moses longed for it. Joel 
prophesied that in the last days that the Spirit of God would pour out on all men and he would remove our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh where God's laws are written on our hearts. We're intrinsically motivated. He said, what you're seeing right now, this is that. And not only that, you need to understand who Jesus was. And he goes and he used the Psalms to say he was the Christ, the Messiah. He was the one that David spoke about when it says that you will not abandon me to the grave. My body will see no decay. We know it's not David for goodness great, for goodness sakes. His grave is right over there, he says. When he spoke about his trust of God being the one who brings us through the grave into life, he was pointing us towards Jesus. And guess what? He's risen. We've seen him with our own eyes. And not only that, he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. So what was his point? This that you're seeing, we're not drunk. This is that which Joel prophesied about. And who is he? He is Christ He is the Messiah, but he's more than that. He's Lord. And by the way, although this was God's plan all along, we did not realize it. It was God's plan that he come. You crucified him. Snap. The fact that the sovereign will of God does not do away with the responsibility of man. How does that work together? How does the sovereignty of God work together with the free will of man? I don't know, but it does. And so he's saying, you crucified him. They were heart struck. I mean, they were broken hearted. What must we do? And he said, what must you do? You better grab a hold. You better turn around because you are going down a slippery slope and off a cliff. And what you need to do is grab on to Jesus. Repent, turn around, be baptized. And so he tells them this, right? And then we find out that 3,000 came to know Jesus for salvation. And in verse 42, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking and and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as he had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. We see four attributes of what is happening here to this earliest church. And the first one we talked about last week, do you remember what they were? They were a community of, y'all are not making good grades right now, (laughs) of learners, okay? They are a community of learners. They were committed to learning, okay? And it wasn't just about Peter's message. Peter proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, all right? But the fact is, they then devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles. Why? Because that one moment... This, the light of Jesus, the light of the gospel of the kingdom wasn't going to transform them in one day, but it was going to pour over every single area of their life. 
And they devoted themselves to learning from the apostles about how is this gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus, how does that impact every area of my life? And so they devoted themselves to being learners. And I love 1 John uh, 1.3 because this really fits right in our text. It says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship. Remember that word, because we're going to talk about it next. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So what are they saying? All that we have, we are giving to you. Well, what have they had? Who have they been with for the last three years? Jesus. So they have heard all of his words. They have watched his deeds. They have operated as a family with one common purse, one common life. And for three years, they have been watching him and mimicking him as his disciple. So close to their rabbi that there's an idea that the dust of the rabbi is all over them. And that is what they've been doing. And so now their job is to do what? The same. What has been given to us, we will give to you. It is the same. It's the same idea as in Ephesians 4. Look at Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. It says, but that is not the way. Uh, I'm going to start in 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of in impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. That learned is still its disciple. Okay, that is not the way you were discipled. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught, what do you think that word is? Disciple, okay? Taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, you were taught what it is to be truly human. You have been discipled. You have been taught what this new kingdom is, what Jesus is like. This isn't you. That's your old self. And so it's showing us that they were committed to learning. And I told you, my greatest concern today is what? This was the number one thing. I'm not sure we have disciples. I can disciple, but you have to decide you're going to be a disciple. You, you're going to commit yourself to learning, to learning the scripture. And so we have this discussion all the time that this is one of the most biblically illiterate generations I've ever seen. And so, but I will say this, there are young people out there that are starving for the meat of the Bible and they're starving for mentorship and for fellowship and community. And that is what we're going to see is the next thing. Not only were they committed to learning, but what was the next quality? What did it say? Do you know where we are? I'm still in Ephesians, so no, I don't know where we are. Acts 2, 42. So they were, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the 
and the fellowship, okay? When we hear that word fellowship, it's such a churchy word. You know, you don't hang out with normal people and say, we fellowship today. Do you? Right? If, if, that, if you hear that all the time, you're really in a bubble. You're in a church bubble. That is not common language of everyday people that we're going to fellowship today. All right? But fellowship, because when we think of fellowshipping, we just think of being together. Okay? But there's a lot more to this situation, what this word is in fellowship. Stott says this, the word fellowship was born on the day of Pentecost. Because fellowship means common participation in God. Okay, that's pretty difficult. I'm going to make it a lot more simple. That word fellowship is the word, uh, oh my gosh, you know it, koinonia, uh, koinonia. I told y'all my brain is not right today. Koinonia, okay? And it literally is translated like common. So when you use phrases like, uh, so I will, I'll give you an example. People of this day were using a Greek that was referred to as common Greek. And it's that koine, it's the root of koinonia. And so we say all the time, oh, well, we share a common language. We share a language. Koinonia is more than just being together. It really means the term to share, Okay, so what it is saying, especially in 1 John, it says that we are sharing with you, that is the same word, koinonia, we are sharing with you what we have shared with God through Jesus. So in other words, it is this gospel that brings us together in fellowship because we share in Christ Jesus. So it brings us together, it unites us, it gives us common ground. We are common, we are in fellowship, but it's more than that. Just like the word penetrates every part of who we are, it's not just, we're not just sharing in Christ, we are sharing in Christ and then what pours out of us? We are sharing ourselves and we are sharing our belongings. There is a form of the word koinonia that actually means generosity. And that's what you are seeing here. And so this is the idea that this is a community that is dedicated to learning and it is dedicated to sharing. They are sharing in Christ Jesus. They are sharing what they have. The disciples are sharing their knowledge and um, the people are sharing all that they have. This is not communism. Some people have tried to act like this is an example, example of communism or socialism. That's not, that's not this. Why? Because that's forced. Okay? This comes out of a transformation in our lives that we are sharing what we have. And it also tells us that part of being a learner is learning in community. Right? How do children learn? They learn from mom and dad. They learn in family. They learn to mimic. Let me tell you what was one of the bad things that happened in COVID. Isolation affected young baby speech, right? Because they could not see 
faces because of masks. They could not mimic how things looked and sounded. They didn't socialize. There was all kinds of delay in learning. We learn in community. We learn in social ways with each other. Um, and I tell you another, so what you have is this idea that what we are learning, what we are sharing in Christ, this vertical relationship also affects how it comes out in fellowship with other people. So our vertical relationship with God affects our horizontal relationship of how we love, that agape love. It's an active love. And so we learn that way. I grew up singing this song in church. Uh, you know, I went to camps. We were in church every time the door was open. We were laughing about that this morning. Like these kids, they go, oh, I don't want to go to church. Shut up. I went to church Tuesday night visitation. Wednesday night was the deep, they had dinner. And that's when the deep preaching was on Wednesday night. And then I had youth group on the weekends. And then Sunday, we went Sunday morning and Sunday night. <gasps> and I mean, we were there all the time. And so, I mean, we, I have this foundation that I'm so thankful for. But when I think about this, I was driving down the road and I started singing, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, First John 4, 7 and 8. And that's it right? We share in Christ Jesus. It transforms everything we are. And what do we do? We take, do what the disciples, whatever we have been given and we what? We give it out and we do it in community. And we see from the scripture that they did it in big gatherings at the temple. And they also did it in what? Small gatherings in homes. And I will tell you another thing. I don't think you can grow in isolation because I think it is a circle. I think you grow in this vertical relationship with God through discipleship, through being a learner, and you put it out to the world, but I'm gonna also tell you the world is the greatest teacher. Some of the hardest people in your life are your greatest teachers. I don't like it. Some of the hardest people in the world to love are going to be your greatest teachers to understand agape, sacrificial love. And so when your first reaction is, oh my gosh, I wanna just kill that person, right? You stop and you think, okay, I'm in the classroom right now. I'm learning, he's seeing. You know, when I ask you questions and you don't answer me and I tell you you're making bad grades, he's looking at me going, really? You still don't get it? After all this time, they came together in a brand new family. They are reproducing themselves. They committed themselves to learning. This is a completely different way of life. It is a completely different kingdom. And they have to learn what that does to all of them, how it's gonna affect how they live life, how they love, how they speak, what their relationships are gonna look like, what they do with their money, how they deal with sex, 
Every single thing in their life is going to be transformed. And that doesn't happen in a day. So they need disciples. They need someone that has received all that and can now mentor and teach them. And as they are together, they are learning and growing. They go to big gatherings and learn through speeches in the temple and Solomon's portico. And then they go into homes. And it says the other thing they did is they got together for the breaking of bread. Okay, now some teach that this is uh, communion, and I do believe it is, but I don't believe that's all that is insinuated here. I believe it involves communion because I believe they have incorporated that in to their small gatherings, and that's how they started off with dinner. And I'm going to tell you, I had some friends uh, when we were, oh, young marrieds, and we were raising our kids, and I thought it was so interesting. We would go to their house, and they were deeply spiritual people. I loved them, and they would always do communion with us before we started dinner. I had never... And come on, I grew up Southern Baptist. We had this rhythm, you know, we could do communion. Now I'm at CCV and we do it every week, weekend, you know. But it w- I had never really had anybody that incorporated that in to like coming together. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. It was a family unit. It was beautiful. It kind of set the whole tone when we got together for our conversation, why we were there. And that is the picture of what they did in this early church. They got together. They were family members, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is brand new. And they're coming together in their homes and they are offering everything they have. This has nothing to do with personal home ownership, whether we should own houses or not. What they did is if there was a need, it didn't matter what your status, everybody was even at the foot of the cross. And they were all coming in to hang out and to celebrate. And they all reminded themselves at the beginning of the meal, What brings us together? Well, what brought them together? The body and blood of Jesus given for them. And man, when you focus on that, it makes a sweet meal and conversation and prayer. They had the rhythm of prayer. It tells you that they really stayed connected at first to the religion of Judaism. It takes a while before that begins to separate along the time. So they are still going to the rotations of prayer, the morning, the afternoon, and the later evening, the afternoon prayer. They were involved in that. And what prayer do you also think they concentrated on? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What had Peter been preaching? He is the Messiah, not was, or we thought he was. He is because he has risen. We've seen it with our own eyes and he's ascended to the right hand of the father. Hello, Daniel seven. He is the king of kings. He is seated there and he has now poured out his spirit on us. And he has taught us to pray that his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How? Because what he now gives to us, we what? We give out to the world. And now we are going to be a force that comes out. What is this force? Who can stop the Lord God Almighty? Right? The gates of hell cannot prevent God's church. And so we see this family tight unit begin. And listen, there's going to be problems. 
So don't go back and think your church is AWOL because you don't see all of the beauty of this early church because stick with me in Acts, we're gonna see some stuff, right? Because what? Church is messy. Have you realized that yet? Grace is messy. Wouldn't it be awesome if A plus B always equaled C? But it doesn't because you have the human condition and they were brought together as this family. So chapter three, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which by the way, was about three o'clock in the afternoon. And a man, oh, and by the way, don't you think it's interesting that they're always together? This has nothing to do with where I'm headed. It's a little bird walk. But isn't that so interesting? Because after Peter denied Jesus three times, almost always you see him right away with John. And what extremes? Peter's the one who denied Jesus and John's the one that stuck around. But yeah, here they are together, this tag team. It's so interesting because they're united in Christ. There's no judgment there. Or you shoulda, or I shoulda, nothing. They are united and I love that. They're, they're side by side quite often. Well, there was a man lame from birth and he was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask for alms of those entering the temple. The beautiful gate um, was the one that, that came in, I believe at the court of women. Um, and then would, uh, and it was this beautiful, well, it's called beautiful gate, but it was also, I believe called the Nicanor gate. And it was this huge bronze gate, but it was covered with gold and silver. Isn't that interesting, this juxtaposition of this golden, beautiful gate, and you have this beggar that is right there at the gate asking for alms. Okay, there were three basic principles of the Jewish religion, the three things that they were taught. Number one is the Torah, the Torah, the law. Okay, the five books, predominantly the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, okay? And worship. And then the third thing was the giving of alms, okay, or kindness. So what better shot do you have than to be at the gate when they're coming out of church? Are you with me? And you have to understand this man is 40 years old, we find out later, and he has never walked, never walked. And he is being brought every day to this place. Um, I think it was... Um, it might have been Spurgeon that talked about, you know, when he went to uh, one of the Catholic churches in, in Europe somewhere when he was studying in college that, you know, he would often run into beggars and they would be around on, there was a beggar he crossed by every day on the way to his grad, graduate work on this bridge, okay? And most of the time, the beggars back then were not like our beggars today who are spinning a sign saying, you know, I'm going to be real. I just need a beer. Like, it wasn't like that. Okay. They literally would put their head down and they would keep their head down and put their hand up and, you know, ask for kindness or alms. But he said he would go to a class every day and he'd pass this same beggar every day on the bridge. Well, once he graduated, you know, he went about his ministry and about 20 years later, he goes back to visit and he said, I crossed that same bridge and guess who was there? That same beggar was there. 
He said, even more than that, one day I was at the market in the street market and there was a picture of, you know how you go and there'll be artists painting different sections of the city. He said, there was a picture being painted of that bridge and guess who was in the painting? That beggar. Like he was a staple. That was his spot. This is this guy. Every day he went there. I just wonder how many times they had walked by him and maybe hadn't noticed. And so this is what he says. It says, um, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him, of course they did, as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement of what had happened to him. Of course they did. He was like a staple. He's the guy on the bridge. He's the guy in the painting. He's the one that comes every day there. I love the phrase that they say to him. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, what? I will give you. Doesn't that relate to the last chapter that we just talked about? Isn't the whole point of the last chapter that what I have been given, what? I will then give out. And so we're seeing that um, money was not that important to them anymore. We see that because they're selling everything they have that is of excess and they're having one what? Common pot. They are sharing. They have become family. This is what comes out of that heart that has changed. And it says that they looked at him and they asked him to look what? Back. So there was this deep connection that is happening. A connection was made, some kind of inward recognition. I don't know if I can describe that well. I've experienced it. It reminds me of the story. Do you remember the woman who was hemorrhaging in the gospels? And she wanted to be invisible because she was unclean. Anything she touched was unclean. She had been isolated for 12 years, if you remember, as if she had died. And so she risked everything to get through the crowd. You can imagine that she was covered up, sneaking through the crowd because she believed if this is the Messiah, he will have healing in his wings. If I can just touch him, I will be healed. And she wanted to stay invisible. And she touched him and her faith, right? She was healed. But what did Jesus do? He's like, uh, what was that? Who touched me? And do you remember what his disciples said? Who, have, who hasn't touched you? You're surrounded. He's like, no, I felt the power come out of me. It was, it's really the only time we ever see God the Father work without giving the son knowledge, but he always works the same way. God the Father always heals through the son by the power of the spirit, always. But Jesus felt the power. And guess what? He's like, no, 
you're not going to go away unrecognized. We need to make a connection. And when he sees her, when she comes back, he calls her daughter, which he doesn't, I believe it's the only time in the scripture he uses that. And what he is saying is, you know what? I see you. And if you remember the story before that, it was the story of Jairus who was standing up for his daughter who was 12 and she was dying. This woman has basically been dead for 12 years, right? Because she has been totally isolated from her community because of her hemorrhaging. And she had no one to stand up for her. This 12-year-old over here who's dying, the father has stood up for her. So what is Jesus saying? Oh no, you've been seen. You have a father and he is standing up for you. He sees you. There is a connection made. And that's what's happening here. No, we're going to catch eyes. There's going to be a connection because you're about to experience uh, a healing and you need to understand what is behind this healing. Have you ever had that moment where God stops you in your tracks and makes you notice something? You may have walked by that person a hundred jillion times, or you may have been, you're just in a hurry to go somewhere and what happens? (sighs) He makes you notice. This is what is happening. One day I was walking down, I was driving, I was in a hurry. I was driving over by the Arrowhead area and I was driving by and I see this teenage girl standing at a telephone pole that has a sign on it where you can tell probably somebody has died. And I had somewhere to be. And I'm driving and I felt it. It was like, and I'm like, Lord, I gotta be somewhere. I kept driving And it was like, you better turn that car around. And it was not easy. Where I was over by 59th Avenue, it was going to be a pain because I had to pull a U-turn. Then I had to go up past her, pull another U-turn and hope she's still standing there by the time I find a place to park and I walk all the way to the telephone pole. But I couldn't let it go. I'm like, Shannon, It's the Holy Spirit. So I turned around, I go all the way back, I parked, I walked, she's still there. And I I walked up to her, I go, hey, what you doing? And she said, this was my friend. And uh, he played football at Mountain Ridge. This is before Zachary. He played football at Mountain Ridge and uh, she was telling me that he had passed away and she was just grieving. And I said, wow. I said, you know what? God must really love you. And she goes, what? I said, God must really love you. I said, I had places to be today. Like I'm I'm missing some stuff. And I am telling you that I was driving down the road and he stopped me in my tracks to turn around here to say that he sees you and he loves you. And she just started sobbing. But it was a connection. And and I don't know where she went from there. I really don't. And it's not that I sat down with her and said, let me tell you the gospel. I didn't. I didn't do all that. All I did is I did what I believe that God gave me. And that is the point because I think that is what is happening here. John Piper says, he believes what he is saying is this. Today, I've been given something special for you. Jesus has just given me the faith to speak healing to you. And now I share this gift to you. 
Hoff Power version is this. Jesus just gave me something to give to you. That's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. He walks by. Their life has been changed. He notices why. Something made him notice. He is drawn to this man. And what does he say? I don't have silver and gold, but I'm going to give you what I do have. Rise and walk. And can you imagine what that was like? He has been crippled from birth. He's never walked on those feet, on, those, on the feet or ankles or anything. And he stands up and he is immediately strong. And what do you think he does? He jumps up and down. I mean, come on, you've seen the chosen. You can, you can picture this in your mind. He jumps up and down. He's walking. He's laughing. It's a belly laugh, okay? It is like, what? And don't you know Jesus laughed? And saw all this, what is happening when something is broken, it is brought back to life. This man was just given new life. And that's what Jesus is. He's the author of life. And we're going to see that. So what is happening here? You are seeing the continuing work of Jesus through who? Through the disciples. The very thing that has been promised. He's like, you think our relationship's coming to an end. When he tells them, I'm going somewhere you cannot go. You think our relationship's coming to an end. And I'm telling you, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's just getting started. Why? Because now I have put my spirit within you and you've been made alive. You are the temple where God's space and man's space come together. What does that mean? I'm going to make you notice. I'm going to speak to you. You're going to be my servant. I'm going to use you. I just wonder how much time I was talking to my daughter this week in our struggle. And I go, how much time do we spend leaning into the earthly and, and wondering why God is not using us or why we're not experiencing life. But we don't take any time to listen to his voice. To lean in to the God space. This is where the action is. This is where the excitement is, right? And I'm always telling, I go, Hillary, you know the old story I used to tell you about the Native American grandpa that used to say to his grandson, I got two wolves fighting inside me. You know, you've heard this. And, and I've got a good one and a bad one. And he describes all the good qualities, which love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And he describes all the bad qualities. And the little boy looks at his grandfather and says, so which one wins? And he says, whichever one you feed. So how much have you been feeding the earthly that will not last? Compared to how much have you been feeding the spirit Leading in, I am telling you, that's where the good stuff is. That is where life-breathing good stuff is. He went into the temple walking and dancing and praising God, and he understood that the healing came through Peter, not through, it was from God through Peter, right? Because they're not worshiping. He, he doesn't worship Peter. Who is he worshiping when he goes into the temple? He worships God. He knows that the healing came from God through Peter. He doesn't worship Peter. Not at all. He goes in worshiping God. Now it says that he hangs on to them. Well, wouldn't you? 
What do they have? Whatever it is you have, I want a piece of it. It says, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms and they were filled with wonder and amazement and what had happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Simon, Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Ooh, sermon number two. This is Peter. Isn't this amazing? I mean, not too long ago, he's like, no, I don't know him. Nope, 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 nope. I do not know him. And now this is the second sermon that he is going to stand up in the temple and preach. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance and did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. What a sermon. I bet this didn't gain a whole lot of fans from the religious leaders. Do you remember the last sermon? Do you remember how he used chunks of scripture? Do you remember this? to support what he was saying. What you're seeing at Pentecost is what Joel prophesied about. Who Jesus is, is who David prophesied about. He is the Messiah and he is Lord. This time he's doing the same thing, but he's not using huge chunks of scripture. He is using their Old Testament code language. So let me interpret it for you. Okay, you ready? And you, there's tons you can go back and really journal through. Okay, so how does he describe God? What name does he use? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you know where God introduces himself like that in the Old Testament? Anytime I ask you a question about the Old Testament, you got about a 75% chance that the answer is somewhere in the Exodus. 
okay? Everything about the New Testament, right, is fulfilling that scene. It's like the, the, um, the signpost pointing, pointing forward. So in Exodus, this is how God introduces himself to Moses at the burning bush, okay? In Exodus 3, 6, write that down and read it later. This is how God introduces himself. And do you remember all the symbolism I taught you about fire, like the burning bush? Fire represents what most often? The presence of God, okay? So we know that the, the presence of God is there at the burning bush, right? And so why did he have to take off his shoes? It was holy ground, okay? This is temple language. Uh, the presence of God as a fire came down on Mount Sinai. You have the fire or smoke, which is fire, filling up the glory of God in the tabernacle. You have that in the temple. This is, spirit, this is temple language. So when you have the tongues of fire come down and fall into each person, temple language. God's space, man's space, what? Coming together. So right here, this is like a temple, God coming down, God's space and man's space, and he comes down and he introduces himself to Moses by saying, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What is God about to do? So now these two are connected. So what is happening? In Exodus, he is starting something new, right? Something new is about to happen. What is about to happen? What is he calling Moses to do? Let my people go. Do you remember the motions? Okay. No. Ten plagues. Passover. Red Sea, right? You've got something new is happening. That God has heard the cries of his people and that he is about to do something new by rescuing his people from slavery, right? From the bondage of slavery. That is what is happening doing something new. Here, it is the same. God is doing something new. This is what he's trying to show them, something brand new. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Something new is happening. And, do you, and in this, look in that chapter, what does he say? The prophets have been proclaiming this moment. And who does he use in his, as an example in that chapter? Moses. And he says, Moses told you that there was a prophet that would come like him. Are y'all reading it in that chapter? You got it highlighted now to look at? And he's saying, and when he comes, you are to what? Do everything he says to do. Okay, these two things are connected. In their mind, they are connected. He is saying, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, something new has happened. He has come and he says he has glorified his servant, Jesus. Ding, ding, ding. That word servant. If you are Old Testament people, where do you think they would have gone? This servant, this servant to come. Let me show you. They had this stuff memorized. I, I wish, it, it's like, I keep telling you, when they speak, it's like, have you ever had a best friend that knows everything and all you have to do is say one word and they know the whole story? 
That's the deal. Okay, so when he says that he has glorified his servant, they immediately go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is about the one to come. And this is what it says. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. Can't you just, I can picture this in my mind, right? They have literally the, the law has made everything like dry ground. It's, it's the letter of the law. So many rules burdened down. They have burdened down the people. The law was given to produce what? Life. And now in this time, do you understand the people are oppressed by Rome and they're oppressed by their own religious leaders? Like, ugh. and Jesus comes like this beautiful brand new blade of grass, the shoot that comes. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces. Why do we hide our face, by the way? We feel shame, right? What does that tell me? That's what we do when we experience God. Look all through scripture. When we experience the holiness of God, God does not run from man. Man hides from God. From the very beginning, God has pursued you. He's never hidden from you. He wants you. He loves you. It is us that when we experience that, we hide our face. As one who hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Is this familiar to you now? He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb He was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. 
By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressor. He just spoke in code. He just took them back to Exodus by saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm doing something new. I am freeing you from the bondage of sin and death. This is what Jesus came to do. And he was the servant. Go back and read your prophets. He was innocent. Absolutely innocent. He was the lamb that all transgressions were poured on him. What happened in Exodus? The sacrificial Passover lamb, the blood was applied to the door and they were freed. He is saying this Jesus doing something new. He came to free you from the bondage of sin and death. Something brand new has started. Why? Because he was glorified by God. He was that servant. And you have this whole theme of innocence. And he says on here, I mean, come on. Even Pilate recognized it. Do you understand that? The Roman, the brutal Roman said, what, what has this man done? That you call for him to be crucified. Like, I don't see anything in him that deserves that. Not only did Pilate recognize it, what about the thief on the cross next to him? He watched the whole horrific thing. And what did he say to, uh, to the other thief? Shut up. We deserve this. What has this man done? And let me ask you, what had he done? What had he done? What you are seeing us do is a continuation of what Jesus did. So let me once again give you a sermon. Something new is starting. He has come to free us, to restore Israel, to set us free from the bondage of sin and death. Who is he? He has been, he is the servant that was promised to come. He is the innocent lamb of God. Pilate recognized his innocence. The man to the right of him recognized his innocence. And yet... When you were given a choice, do you know who you chose? It's all in this chapter. Jesus Barabbas. Did you know that was his name? By the way, we could go on a little walk there. Jesus Barabbas. His name is Jesus, son of Abba. That's what Barabbas means. So they had a choice. They could either take the only precious son of Abba, who he is later called uh, the initiator, the prince of life, or they could choose the violent terrorist son of Abba. Do you understand that right here you have the picture? Oh gosh, it's 1103. I was just getting the good part. Uh, you have a picture. I always tell kids all the time, the Bible could be called the tale of two kingdoms. Let that sink in your head. 
The Bible is the story of the tale of two seeds. It's the tale of two kingdoms. It was, our job was to bring the kingdom of heaven throughout the earth and we failed. And because of that, God promised that there would be two seeds. The kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. But one day, a king would come and he would restore all to God's space. Okay? Right here, they are literally given the two kingdoms in front of them. We're going to come back to this next week. Barabbas represents a terrorist. He was a terrorist. He represented the kingdoms of the earth. What does that look like? We draw the sword and we build empires. That's who they chose over Jesus, who was the author of life. How in the world do you look at Jesus and all that he had done? If it was broken, he fixed it. If it was starving, he fed it. If it was dead, he raised it. I mean, think about it. What did he do? They experienced a love in him they had never experienced before. But when the choice was up there in front of them, he said, look who you chose. You chose the murderer. There ain't nothing new under the sun, people. We do that every day. The mob chose the murderer. And I'm going to tell you, there is a mob mentality inside of all of us. That when we have a choice of the way of the world, the way of the kingdom, or the choice of laying down our life on a cross, a lot of times we choose Jesus Barabbas. We have a way of looking at what is right and turning it wrong and looking at what is wrong and claiming release it. What in the world? Do you see it in the world today? The people out there, that are protesting what is going on in Israel and whatever your political issue is, how in the world did they get turned into the villains when they were attacked unprovoked by a terrorist organization? What, what happened? How did that get so swapped? I'm just telling you, every day we have the opportunity where we look at humanity versus the beast and we've got it inside us. And we choose the beast. Why? Because none of us want to pick up our cross. That's why. I don't like it. But that's the way of the kingdom of heaven. Is to pick up a cross. To lay down our lives. And the only way we can do that, I promise you, is to be people that dedicate ourselves to be learners to how this kingdom works and how it penetrates every area of our life. And we need each other to disciple to do that. And the only way we can do that is to reinforce each other by being together in big places and small places. So stop neglecting to get together and going to church. It's not just about uh, the music or the teaching. It is about the fellowship, the sharing together with other believers to remember what unites us and what our calling is and to stay focused in those areas. In this sermon, he is proving to them who Jesus is. Your prophets have been saying he is coming all along. And when you were given the choice, you chose the murderer and you killed the author of life. 
And if you think we are any different than them, you're crazy. So go back. Look through this chapter. I'm going to continue to break it down uh, next week. We are going to look at all the different descriptions that they used for him. And we're going to look at all the verbs that they participated in. Okay, so read through this. Do you have enough homework? Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word. Um, just being able to walk through it a verse at a time to look at your stories that still apply to us. You're, you're the same yesterday and today and forevermore. And to be quite honest, humanity is. And so we see elements in these stories of us um, that we too can have that mob mentality. We could do things in a mob we would never do as an individual. We get swept up in the ways of the world. And before we know it, we can be crying, release Barabbas. God, I just, I thank you that you were that ultimate sacrifice. I thank you that you kept your word all the way through the prophets, that you came, you endured it all, all the abuse and loneliness and isolation, all the pain of what was heaped on you, and you did it for me because you loved me. And so, God, I pray that you would just draw me into a closer and closer relationship so I can continue to make disciples, to tell people that you are the Christ, you are the Lord, that you are seated on your throne, that you are absolutely in control, that the beast does not win, and one day you will return and you will make all things right. But until then, Lord, I need to live out that same life, which means I need to have an attitude of learning of how that word penetrates every area of my life and that I need to gather together. I need to share in Christ, but share everything I am and have with my body of believers as we go through this life. I love you dearly in Jesus name. Amen.